0: Welcome to Rush Hockey Talk, brought to you by Rush Hockey. Trusted guidance, unrivaled success. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Kelly Kitorji, and this is our podcast series. This is definitely the place to be if you want to learn how to pave your way to the world of youth hockey. So get ready, because you're going to hear some amazing interviews with premier personalities, coaches, scouts, players, celebrities. We got them all. Rush Hockey for over 25 years, experts in evaluation, over 10,000 alumni. It's unmatched. It's Rush Hockey Talk, and it's here. Welcome to Rush Hockey Talk. Here we are again. This is Kelly Katorji bringing you another one of our podcast series. And today we have a special treat for you. At least for us, it's a special treat because in studio we have Grant Kimball, new assistant coach, University Yale. He's here today, and before we get to Grant, we want to let everyone know that this episode is sponsored by Zenergy Gum. It's a new great caffeinated gum that it's out there, 50 milligrams of caffeine, 45% of it is B12, and 35% of it is B6. It tastes great. Give it a shot. Open your mind, open your senses, Zenergy Gum. You can get it on Amazon or at chooseenergy.com. Grant, how you doing? Thanks for coming in.
1: Awesome. Doing well, Kelly. Thanks for having me. Great to be here in studio. Good. We never actually, you you're our
0: first in-studio guest. It's a pretty prestigious thing for, for you to be part of, wouldn't you think? Yeah, maybe I can get some <laughs> of that Zenergy gum now. It's it tastes fantastic, by the way. And I'll make sure you get some samples before you leave the studio today. So let's get going. Grant, let's talk about you first. So I've known you now probably, we're talking about it earlier as you entered the studio, <laughs> roughly 20 years, and you're making the transition back to Division I hockey. Give us again a brief a brief history of your coaching experience, then let's talk about the transition that you just made.
1: Yeah, so uh, I think last time I was here, or uh, at least on the podcast, I was... Head coach at Aurora University, a small Division three school uh, in Illinois, but um, have made the move to, to Yale earlier in the, the late spring. But coaching-wise, got started, uh, senior in college, uh, helped out a, a buddy of mine who was coaching at the Team Illinois uh, girls organization, helped out w- with him, and that was sort of my first introduction into girls hockey. Um, coached uh, a U-16 team for a few years, then uh, saw our girls getting recruited on into college and thought that that might be something that I could try to do. And luckily, I was able to do that as an assistant at Lake Forest, my alma mater, for a few years, then moved on to Wayne State University, my first Division I full-time job with Jim Fetter. I uh, was there for four years, then went to the University of North Dakota for two Uh Left that program after Brian Adolski took over in 2009, went to the University of Vermont where I spent the next seven years, and then uh, left Vermont to start the, the program at Aurora University uh, as a new Division three school three years ago, and just made the move back this summer to be uh, an assistant and part of the new staff at Yale University. What sort of challenges do you face when you
0: leave a program, whether you're an assistant or a head coach. So for example, you are at Aurora university, you're building a division three program, and then you're moving on to bigger and better things. What, what sort of challenges both, uh, you know, mental challenges for one, I mean, how does that feel? And of course, what you leave behind, how do you handle that?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I think it, Certainly varies coach to coach and in, in certain circumstances. Um, I can really only speak for my case. But uh, you know, some of the challenges, at least as a head coach, you know, I, I wanted to leave uh my previous program in a good spot. I didn't want to just just up and go. I wanted to make sure that all of our loose ends, whether it was recruiting players or ordering equipment or you know, whatever the case might be, I wanted to leave a, a good table for, for somebody to come in and not have too many loose ends hanging out. So the challenge of, of getting those things done. And uh, then you have the challenge logistically of, okay, how am I going to leave halfway across the country and move, move somewhere else? And, you know, with family and, you know, it's just me and my wife for now. So a little easier than if I had kids, but, you know, certainly those coaches with families, you know, bringing kids to a new area or taking them out of a certain area, you know, there, there's a challenge uh, in and of itself there. It must be
0: a an administrative nightmare. I mean, maybe you got to change your driver's license, get new license plates, your house changes, new landlords if you're renting.
1: You know, what sort of interesting stories or challenges did you have with that? Um, it's true. You know, you have the challenges that life comes, like you said, changing your address, changing your plates, license, uh, you know, logistics, trying to find... Uh, short-term housing versus long-term housing. Um, One of the challenges that I faced in taking the job at Yale was where was I going to live? And you know. so luckily my sister-in-law lives just outside of Hartford and Glastonbury. So I am going to be with her and her family for the foreseeable short-term future until I can get a a better lay of the area around New Haven and decide where where we want to live. But yeah, housing can be a challenge just you know, life in general, uh, when you make a move like that presents a, a lot of questions and some balls in the air.
0: It, even your spouse, I mean, there's a challenge there. You're on the road all the time. I'm sure she probably gets a little annoyed with that
1: every so often. <laughs> God bless my wife, Lori. Um, we met as as we were both kind of established in our careers. I a coach her in the healthcare field. So we've always had sort of being apart from one another as a part of our dynamic to our relationship. And uh, I can't thank her enough for handling everything that my career has sort of brought with job changes. She's been awesome. Um, But yeah, dealing with certain things, you know, as a coach, at some point I was just talking to somebody the other day as a coach, you're always going to get fired at some point. Mm -hmm. There is always going to be a change. You don't know when or at what point in your career, but movement is inevitable at some point. And she's been just absolutely fantastic and awesome and sort of rolling with the punches so that I can pursue my passion. And uh, we both compliment one another really, really well and without her and how she's sort of dealt with to use that term, my career uh, she's been so supportive and it's just been, been awesome.
0: Yeah, I learned that lesson a long time ago too, getting fired from coaching staffs and and scouting staffs. And it's funny, you always know someone who's a coach when you go to their house, hang up your coat in their closet and you see about eight different track suits or winter coats, a green one, a red one, a black one, just moving from team to team to team. You actually have to admire people who have been able to stay in one place for a long period of time but it's quite a, a a cool thing to note.
1: Yeah, I was just talking to somebody the other day I think I could I could fill a shelf or two at the Salvation Army with all the jackets and track suits and duffel bags and <laughs> everything else I've gotten over the years. It's pretty awesome. So all right, let's talk about Yale. New staff. Give us a little bit
0: of a summary of your new head coach, your new boss and the other assistant coach that's going to be on the road with you.
1: Yeah, so Mark Bolding is our head coach, and uh, Daniel Blanchard is the other assistant that I work with. Uh, Both of these two people I've gotten to know over the years. Mark was the former head coach at Norwich University, won a few national championships. Danielle was the assistant at Plattsburgh and won uh, some national championships as a player and also as a coach. I think she might have seven between her playing and coaching career and and Mark too, amongst numerous frozen fours. But uh, it's interesting, you know, as I've gotten older um, and have coached longer, you know, who who you work for is certainly important. And one of the things I remember uh, about talking with Mark when I asked him the question of, okay, now you're at Yale, you know, what are you trying to do? What do you, what do you want to accomplish? And he didn't, Say to me, you know, we're going to win a conference championship in three years, and you know, we've got this sort of time window for winning. His honest to God first response was, I want to have great relationships and I want a great staff dynamic. And that to me was something that resonated with me, in that it wasn't all about the winning, it was more about the people that he worked with and creating an environment that was conducive to success. Kind of, you know, from the pro- process standpoint, if we have a good relationship with the staff and with our players that the success is going to come. It
0: sounds like he gets it. I mean, being a coach and running a program is quite a stressful thing. So it sounds like from what you're saying is if he can create great relationships, it'll make everyone comfortable, less stress. And it just sort of that environment builds, builds success. You don't have to win the championship to have success, but it certainly builds success and its fun to be there.
1: Yeah. I don't know a lot of people that thrive in a really, really stressful environment. You know, when you've, when you've got either a a, a boss or a group of people that are constantly creating, uh, stress, I think stress creates indecision. And, uh, certainly when you talk about performance and having a group of people that you're trying to get to perform at a certain level, I think the less stress, the less confusion you can create, Now you have an environment that is conducive to having people feel comfortable. And when you're comfortable, you're probably going to be more confident in what it is that you're doing. And we all know hockey is a a sport where confidence is super key. Uh, So to creating that environment, I think, yeah, if you can create some comfort and less stress, the better.
0: So as the season starts, I mean, today is an example, walking outside, you can kind of feel the the, the cool air starting to creep into life, which means hockey season starting. So give us an idea of what a typical NCAA staff will do as the season starts. What are they, what are they planning, uh, challenges, things of that sort as they get their season rolling?
1: Yeah, I think, uh, you know, with the season starting at the, Division one level, we have some rules that do allow us to work with our teams on the ice for a few hours a week. But, um, you know, classes are just getting in session. Um, you know, teams are getting together. They're starting to bond to create some chemistry. And as a staff, I think we're, we're trying to keep everybody healthy. Uh, we're trying to on the ice maybe, you know, just just get off to a good foot and think about creating some some good habits. Um, you know, not so much, maybe worried about implementing the, the four check right now, but creating a structure and, you know, w- there's a certain number of weeks you have before your first official practice. And then you get into your first official practices and game startup, which is pretty quick. Um, so, you know, th- a lot of the season planning, I think probably takes place more so in the summer and once you hit September, when school starts, it's about, Fine-tuning some details and creating, you know, that sort of team cohesion piece. Once everybody gets back on campus, um, it's generally, uh, I think, a, a good place to start. So, as the season starts
0: and you start getting on the road, let's talk a little bit about scouting early season. I know that one of the one of the questions that I get asked every year is. September's rolling around, Kelly, and there's going to be people watching us. What do you think? And in my years of scouting, now this is year 25 for me, I've always found that early season scouting was a time where the most mistakes could be made. Do you agree with that, and what's your take on it?
1: Um, Yeah, er- early season recruiting is – uh, I don't know if difficult is the right word, but I, I guess it all depends upon what your your staff's uh, approach is to early season recruiting. Um, you know, it's the start of the season, no teams in, in mid season form. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, teams are just getting together. You got new players that moved up from maybe a lower level and are now playing with the older group and um, you know, team chemistry isn't there just yet. There's a, a lot of things in play. Um, I think in, in my previous years, this is a time of year to sort of build your, your list of who you really want to concentrate on and who you really want to, want to watch. So that when there are some really meaningful games, whether that's, you know, important league games where you have some top teams playing against one another, or you've got a, a real high level showcase or tournament, and uh, you've got, you know, the better teams playing against one another at a later time in year when there has been a chance to have some development and some, some team cohesion there. Um, But uh, yeah, just a time to, you know, sort of watch what kids are, what players are out there and, and, you know, begin to develop a a list of who you want to watch down the road.
0: I've always found that the A's a lot of times in September are definitely not A's in December. And I found a lot that the C's in September could turn out to be B's and A's in December. It's amazing the difference it makes in a player between those
1: four months. Have you noticed that? Oh, hundred percent. Um, who you, you know, you might watch a player who has the the size or the speed you're looking for, but may not have the decision-making. It might be holding you back from really taking an interest and you don't, you know, as a scout, sometimes you have some separation, you know, there's a lot that goes on early for us in our game during the month of September with a few of the events out there. And, you know, you have a four to six week span where you don't see a group of teams and until, you know, late October, early November, and the development that can happen just in that span alone, I find myself seeing, oh, wow, you know, Mary didn't look like that six weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes separation is good and getting some distance from the game is good. Just like for players, they need some distance from the game to help their development along. And I find my, my eyes doing the same thing.
0: So this is the first time in a long time that there's a lot of confusion, whether it's in the arena or outside of the arena, when it comes to all the new rules that have been implemented in college hockey, namely, of course, Division I hockey. So give us your take on how a parent and a player need to handle this new environment, which... I personally believe is a very good thing. And and give us your personal thoughts on the new rules and how it will impact not just you, but players and
1: parents. Yeah, I think the new rules have been great. Um, you know, there there came a really abrupt stop to the types and frequency of communication that coaches could have with younger players, you know, entering grade 8 or 9 or, or 10. Um, And I think they've been great. I was talking to a coach uh, later in the summer, uh, right around the end of August, and he was saying that he actually had the chance to have a summer and didn't feel this pressure to always be on the phone and talking with coaches and setting up phone calls. So I think overall, it's been a great thing for coaches. And uh, I think we'll find that in talking to parents and players that have gone through this uh a year or so from now they will say it has been a, a great thing too it's the
0: what's, what's fascinating to me is it's the peewees and the bantams or in american terms the u12s and the 14s that i think are the ones that need to learn from this the most i noticed on my end of the phone being you know a neutral party dealing with everyone that those were the two parties that started to get a little crazy as scouting got younger and younger or recruiting and scouting got younger and younger. What do you
1: say to those, those families? Just be patient and let, let the process play itself out. Um, I think there was such a rush uh, and a, a pressure that people felt in those age groups to get to the next event, to get to uh, have a call with a college coach and to, if they were offered something to, to, to take a, an offer right away, rather than allowing themselves to actually have a process and to make an educated decision. I think if one thing that will come out of this is that now that people have time, they're going to be able to do their due diligence, whether that means getting to, you know, five or six campuses uh, and talking with five or six coaches and maybe going on an official visit before they actually pull the trigger. And if they have an offer to accept it. So I think it, what we're getting into a time period of is reverting back to when I first started at Wayne state university, where we're now going to be able to have conversations with juniors and maybe even some seniors where, you know, the home visit might actually become an important piece of the process. The official visit might actually happen before somebody makes a a, a final decision. Uh, You know, so we kind of have a reverting back to the way things used to be. So parents and
0: players listening, you just heard it from an authority, a college coach. If you're a pee-wee or a bantam, relax. Take your time. Get out of this ancient survival mode that you're in, where you're nervous and making decisions, and always need to uh, always feel that if you're not playing in front of someone, someone, your life is over. There's lots of time, and I'm pretty sure, Grant, that's the point that you were were making.
1: Yeah. F- focus on you know, putting yourselves in the best position where you can play and, you know, get, get some great coaching and you can actually play the game. And without, I, I think it, going back, you know, players and families are putting so much pressure on themselves. If I don't perform in this manner at this event, then I'm I'm never going to play college hockey or my dream school is now out of the mix. Um, you know, we talked about confidence earlier. Uh, now, you know, you should be focused on finding the, the best program, the best development path, and uh, letting the process play itself out.
0: There you have it. Heard from the horse's mouth. Grant, thanks for coming in. It is really fun having guests in studio. We will have you back. We know that you have all kinds of insight after 20 plus years of helping parents. And that's what we want to do. We want to make sure that everyone's on the right track. Feel free to email us anytime. If you want some insight, we can pass on your questions to uh, Coach Kimball. You can email me, kelly, at rushhockey.ca. Happy to make sure your questions get to him. Of course, make them general questions about scouting, hockey, recruiting, anything that you're concerned about. Give us a buzz. We'll put you in touch with anyone we feel that can help. Grant is definitely one of those. Grant, thanks again. We hope to see you soon.
1: Kelly. Thanks a lot. Enjoy the, uh, in studio experience. Thanks again. We want to thank our listeners for tuning in to another episode of rush hockey talk, the place to be, to get informed about youth hockey, rush hockey talk, trusted guidance, unrivaled success.